2: classic big interview
1: this season we're going all the way back to 2019 2020 and we've picked out one of our absolute favorites this is what i had to say about it back then
2: welcome to the big interview i'm graham hunter firstly i hope you're all doing as well as can be possibly imagined in these really strange and testing circumstances This is our first ever remotely recorded episode. No face-to-face during detention. It's Jimmy Bullard coming up now. We asked Mr Bullard to exit his garden where he was doing some beautiful work and very detailed work too, for a specific reason. I've always loved the way that Jimmy loved football. He oozes an infectious adoration of this beautiful game, and he played it really well. We first met eight years ago after a classical and burst into a kind of um, impromptu a karaoke across a hotel bar. That was fun, <clears throat> certainly for us. I'm not saying anything about the audience. Jimmy's skill on the ball at Soccer AM honestly is is priceless to watch. He looks almost more in command of the tricks that he can produce now than he was as a professional footballer for. I don't know, West Ham, Peterborough, Wigan, Hull, Fulham, Ipswich. This was a guy who, in my opinion, was destined for higher things. I think Jimmy really was a good footballer, but by the end he said he felt like his physique was made of glass. Things didn't happen quite as much for this really talented entertainer as they should have done. You'll hear about how during his Premier League career, he was watching Spanish football and taking ideas and role models from La Liga into his game, to his benefit. And Jimmy is one of those big interview guests who experienced real life, as we call it, before making the breakthrough into pro football. It's a vital part of who he was as a player and who he is as a man. Like Chris Wardle, so early in the series of these big interview podcasts, He worked hard for the money, as the song goes, before football liberated him. The one area of his career that we did stop off on to luxuriate in were those early days after West Ham plucked him out of non-league football and he went from painting and decorating to going to work at his beloved boyhood club alongside one player who had a huge impact on him and who you'll hear about a lot, Paolo Di Canio, is coming. Finally, Because we recorded this remotely, the first time in 97 interviews, I haven't been in the same room as our guest, the sound quality occasionally is not quite what you're used to. We'll be doing more of these kinds of interviews to keep you entertained and interested during the lockdown, and we're working out how to get the very best sound quality that's possible. But in the meantime, please hang in there and forgive us just the occasional sound glitch. It's worth it, I promise. There's far, far more to Jimmy Bullard than the clever, witty, cheeky persona that works so well for him on television. This is a man who understands football, adores football at least as much as I do, and knows how to communicate that. You're going to enjoy Jimmy Bullard on The Big Interview.
1: To all the loyal fans of the big interview who've cumulatively uh, given us 14.5 million listens since we started, this is the big one. Uh, this is the one that we've been wrangling with lawyers to bring to you. Um, it is, as you can all see, if this is only audio, let me describe the fact that Jimmy, or <laughs> Don Jimmy Bullard, is sitting in, <laughs> the, in the Marlon Brando set from The Godfather looking as if I'd gone to him um, on the day of his daughter's wedding to ask a, f- a favour, but not called him uh, Godfather. Uh, Jimmy Bullard, um, I bet you right now there's two things in your mind, like, what the fuck am I doing here and why am I in the garden? Have, have, I, have I correctly summarised what's going on in your head right now?
3: Um, yeah, as I've said to you, I've just got into my landscaping massively. So, you know, I've been gardening during this lockdown, it's been hard for all of us. But yeah, I've had to find a goal, basically. I've had to find a goal. I've had to find something that really grabs hold of me. Otherwise, I think boredom would kicked in, and landscaping's really helped me
1: out. At the height of your professional career, how, how far ahead in milliseconds or seconds could you see the picture? Yeah. When you're weighing up 100 things you can do, how far ahead are you seeing it?
3: I was in the Premier League, and I noticed one thing my thought process. The more the more elite I play, the, the more thoughts come in in like seconds. I believe the very best, the Lionel Messi's, the Maradonas, the Raquelmas, the Zidans, the, the Renounce. I believe they think so much quicker in the amount of seconds than the norm. I believe that's why they give themselves more time. You know, we all talk about time equals space equals quality. That ain't only in actions. That's in full process. I think they think so quickly that it gives their actions a lot more time as well. I honestly believe that. You know, I, I believe the best think so much quicker than the norm. I really do. But um, me, it's a difficult question to answer because when I was at my elite, I've come back from the England squad. When I finally got in the England squad, right? my thought process, I went back to Fulham. No disrespect to Fulham. Well, it is disrespect. It was like going back five years when I was playing at Peterborough. I was playing with the best, the Gerards, Lampards, Rio's, Beckham. Rooney's. my two weeks with him oh, I was the best I ever was the moments before that ball comes to me how am I going to mug this midfielder not only am I thinking that I'm thinking how can I entertain great I, I, I not only wanted to control with a side foot I wanted to mug him that bad where I get the crowd up on their feet and giving me a stand that was my attention to that was my I was a bit of an attention seeker as well I was a big attention seeker I didn't want to just control the ball With my side foot, passing and get it down my side. It's a mugging. I wanted to do something special on the other occasion. You know, I wanted to like entertain. So that whole thing, the whole process of choosing what I'm going to do in that moment, is my buzz.
1: I view you as having a a huge sponge and a Mm. massive thirst to to better yourself or to, to to challenge yourself or to learn what. If you'd spend, just say just say breaks had gone your way 10 and physically you were a different animal and you've been taken into a nursery side that led to a pro side. And let's say you've been attached to Premier League Fulham or Premier League West Ham from 12, 13 and you had been it with elite kids pushing yourself all the time from 10, 11, 12, 13. Wouldn't you have ended up, I'm, I'm proposing to you because it's what I think, because I think you're, a chameleon. The better company you're in, probably the better you're going to be. Wouldn't you have ended up consistently at a higher level and a better football throughout your career?
3: Another great question. There's two sides I look at this. Yes, because you're a better elite company at an early stage, you're learning quicker at an early stage. I get the process, but there was one thing that gives me hunger, and that was I knew the outside world, and I was a painter and decorator for five years and builder. And that was a scare tactic for me. So, I never wanted to go back. I knew. I, so let's go, on your, let's go on your way. If I was 12, 13 years of age, I never got the scare tactic. I don't know the real world. I don't know how hard it is to earn £60 a day, right? I don't know how hard it is to really live in the real world out there. All I knew was football, being that 12-year-old, and playing with elite players. But where our I stayed was in the building game, and then to have this magic playing football, wow, that gave me my buzz, that gave me my drive, and that gave me the scare tactic to go, I don't want to go back to the real world. I call it the real world, and, and football, really, that real world scared the life out of me. I had this football, I had this like, dream, I'm going to cherish this. That gave me my hunger. So you've got two sides to um, life, I think. I think you've got all the elite training, and with the elite players, making yourself better as an athlete. But there's one thing that I learned in my career is having a hunger to stay there and to get better. And that's what the real world gives me. I was scared to going back to that.
1: You said something uh, once that I loved, and you've said it to me on the phone, but you've written about it too. You believed mentally that if you watched Zidane, and even if you changed your gear a little bit to be like Zidane, it actually benefited you. Now, I love that. One, because... Every aspiring kid, boy or girl who doesn't make it, kind of thinks like that anyway. But the power of the mind, I think, probably means that you were right when you when you did your boots, maybe not when you did the shorts too tight, but when you did your boots like Zidane and you thought it was helping, I reckon it probably was. It's it's a confident sport. Yeah,
3: it's yeah. That comes again from detail, right? I used to look at Zidane, I used to look I used to um, adore the man so much. As you said, I used to wear my boots like him. And he has Predators, right? The way he used to flap his tongue out to little detail. He didn't used to have the big tongues like Beckham. He used to have them up, quite high. He didn't used to like a lot of flapping around. He used to have tight shorts because basically he was a big man. But I used to think if I could dress like him, you know, and I feel like him, then I started taking on the persona of controlling a ball like him. Was it anything like him? Probably not. But I used to feel like I was him, like... And it used to relax me. You know the way he used to carry yeah, himself? and that's, it, that's ball. it. And he used to like just soak it in. he just like absorb it. And this was me in the Premier League, by the way, Greg. This wasn't me at 17. This was me playing for Wigan. Players didn't really see what I was doing. But I honestly tell you this, I used to think, I used to betray him because I used to go, he's the best in the world. Why not? Why can't I not try and be him? Because Brilliant. Even if I get Absolutely to 10% right. of him... I've done a good job. But there was one moment where the shorts so fucking tight. I couldn't lift my leg up and I missed the open goal. <laughs> what would you all to me and for <laughs> Give me trial, trial and error,
1: trial and error. You,
3: you must have, must have <laughs> I made a mistake to are so, this. I am the so fucking tight. I couldn't lift my left leg up. It come over, Gary Till. Scotsman's gone down the right wing, flying down a right wing as he does. I'm galloping on the left back, thinking I'm Zidane. The ball comes over, slick bounces off the slicky pitch. I've picked my left foot up. I was hopeless with my left peg. And I've just picked it up. But my shorts were so tight, I couldn't put my groin up as I had. And it's just bounced over my foot. And I've looked. No one knew in the moment, obviously. It looked like I just missed it. And I thought to myself, these shorts are too bloody tight. It's getting ridiculous.
1: How superb was Zidane a 21st century um, oh, portrait because you, you can explain that in that... Explain to those who haven't seen the film what yeah. it feels like and why two people in that film caught you.
3: Yeah. Well, any any football fan that loves football out there, just football in general, you don't have to be a Zidane fan. The way this... And, and, and a film fan, because of the detail and the sand, the, the way this is shot is by far, I think, the best football film I've ever seen. I just think it's so class, 21st century. It's his Zan film. Basically, they follow Zidane for a whole game through him coming out of the tunnel, I believe, to the end. I'm not sure how it ends, but I believe in coming out of the tunnel. And there's a few things that I noticed through this film. It, if you ain't watched it, they just do not watch it. It's beautiful, bro, isn't it? It's absolutely mind-blowing.
1: You've said it because the number of cameras, and it's set up by a Scottish guy with a French-Algerian cameraman, and this Scottish <coughs> guy has got artistic ideas and he loves football, but I don't think any football game has had as many artistic cameras placed in oh, on ah, one what? guy ever, ever, and no. it's Zidane. I'll set it up because I don't know if you remember the year. It's April uh, 2005. It's at the Bernabeu. And it's against that iconic yellow submarine, Villarreal, and that's yeah. why it's a double for you, isn't
3: it? Yeah, it plays against Villarreal. It's it's a Zidane film, and you see Zidane moving around, and the way the cameras go onto him, I do not know. And I always remember Zidane. The amount Zidane sweated was unbelievable. It was like a permanent tap coming off of his chin. It, I used to love that. And he's. This is before he's even started the game. He used to sweat unbelievable amount and he was the captain of that team. A few things I noticed and I'm going to get on to the other player in a minute was he wore the armband, how much he didn't talk because he didn't need to, his his actions would be enough, his movement on the ball, great. because where it goes so close in is absolutely phenomenal. Real Madrid don't have the best game in that and nor does Z- Zidane. This is where this other player comes in. It's so hard for me because it's 21st century. It's all about Zidane. But if you go back on YouTube and watch the actual game, Villarreal absolutely run the show with a player called Raquel May. One Roman Raquel May. Now, this boy has the game of his life during this film that's being made about Zidane. And if you watch the amount of Real Madrid Real Madrid players trying to hack Raquel May, uh, he comes out with some ability. And What isn't shown... It isn't shown in this DVD, but as a football fan, I went on to try and find this game to see how real it was. The game by um, Raquel May, that there, I was a bit of a Raquel May fan anyway, but that there took me on to being a full blast Raquel May fan. fan and then I started to train Raquel May. <laughs> and this is where my Raquel May run starts. But I love that player. I, I think that player... Underachieve is a bit harsh because he's done some amazing things, but I think he could have gone on to be one of the best ever. Like, he, he's phenomenal. But that was that sort of DVD. It was amazing, really. We, we've
1: got we've got a lot of um, listeners to this podcast who are football addicts like you and me, football lovers like you and me, and, and therefore some of them will know about Roman Rickelme. But not everybody will have seen him, Jim. So if I was to say to you that, Zidane and Raquelme occupied the same planet because, in their way, they were genius footballers. But to my eye, Rakellme was really different to Zidane in that he's he's built a little bit like you. You'd be a little bit taller yeah. than Raquelme, but he, he's quite a slight man. Yeah. By no means is he fast, but he was he's like got something d- 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 determinedly Argentinian about him. It's like to everybody around, it's like it's this pace, it's my fucking ball. Yeah. You do your little bits running around, and I will feed you, and I'll feed you, and I'll yeah. feed you. Stop now, stop now, turn, rewind, stop, pause for a second, drag them around, boom, there you go again. If there's a free kick, which in your case, we're going to come on to in a little while. Whereas Zidane, like you said, I think a lot of people forget he was a fucking beast. Yeah. As well as being beautiful, and across short bits of ground, he was much quicker than Raquel made. and he could move as if the ball wasn't there but he could impose himself physically. And if you, what it's like with Ronaldinho, if you challenged up near him, you'd bounce off him, which is not the case for Raquel So they had to approach space and marking and, and time of release of the ball completely differently, the two of them, but they equally fascinated you.
3: Your detail there, Grey, is exactly how I see it, right? Is it, is it everything you said there is absolutely bang on, right? You know your shit, obviously. But there were glimp because I was built like Raquel, I I started to understand this. I can I could control the ball like Zidane, but guess what? There's another player trying to get it off of me. That's a different matter. Zidane, as you say, is a beast, six foot two, six whatever he is, at legs like tree trunks, he could put a leg there and stop him. I couldn't do that. Raquel May can't do that. What I found you watch Raquel May very closely, he uses his backside, he uses his whole body. He backs into players. I've never seen a centre midfielder do it. He sort of, he's got his little arch back, he's got shoulders, and he sort of uses his whole body and his arms. He, great. The amount of time he uses his forearm and hurts people is phenomenal. When I see his stature, I thought, there's nothing like this man. This, like, how is he ragdolling people? He's using his whole body. Zidane, uses a limb. It's enough for Zidane to put a leg there and go, stop, and I'll stop that. If I'd done that, I've knew enough put I've been injured ever. I couldn't play like that. Raquel May, I could play like you get his own body there. He is one of the best. I think I said this here the other day, Greg. Two different players, really, and they see it different They had to play different. And I believe it comes down to stature. As you say, no pace for Raquel May, but I'm telling you what he had, Greg. His manipulation of the football in tight areas was better than Zidane's. In tight areas. Like, and this hour I broke it down. Zidane gliding with a football. Wow. Like, I see him tear off. And I think he got... Zidane, you don't see him as a pacey sort of player, but Zidane had pace, what you say. When he got galloping, mate, he was a charger. He, no one's stopping him. Raquel May wasn't that. He was like slow, slow, quick. Quick, quick, slow. He would sort of slow the whole game down, as you said the other day, we great right? Did take at Raquel May's pace? If Raquel May is in a team it wasn't at Raquel May's pace, don't play him. The way he controls the football and the way he absorbs it and his vision... He's just phenomenal to watch. It's just like an absolute
1: eye-opener. There's a way to prove what you've said there because the first person I ever heard of who'd made it at the top level, Premier League level, but who wasn't as good a footballer as you, but felt like you do, was Paul Telfer. And I knew the guy who represented Paul. I didn't meet Paul, but the guy who looked after him would say, Paul doesn't really... Now, this is not you. Paul doesn't really even like football that much. You don't watch it he wished he'd been a professional golfer but he could play football he could earn a brilliant living be an international probably made that cup final <laughs> under court, under court track, and second blah 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 subsequently I've got much friendlier with a guy I used to watch Steve Archibald who's Aberdeen Spurs Russell and a yeah. MC swipe, and, and, and Steve lives over here now and we've got really close friends I work with him on the TV and he'll come in and he's like I didn't watch the football on the weekend I, I don't like to watch football but if you ask him about you show him a clip and say, what should the striker have done? What should the keeper have done? How was the cross? How was that release? His his analysis, and when you're co-commentating at a live game, and he says, this will happen, that should happen, that change is important now, it's, it's breathtaking, but he doesn't watch football. Now, the people you've just been talking about and the era of Spanish football we've just been talking about, that was enough to get you starting watching more football than you used to, because
3: habitually, You're not a great guy for watching tonnes and tonnes of football are you? I'll tell you what it all happened with Sunday do you remember it happened around the time with Galactico when they all come together all them big players like we've touched on Zidane, Beckham, Roberto, Carlos all them players don't get me wrong I watched football I watched UK football I watched bits of Premier League but it was it didn't give me my buzz it didn't give me what I was hoping at the game you've got to remember I was playing in it as well so it was a bit of a weird time it was like I would watch it more to the point if I was coming up against like to Stephen Steven Gerrard at the weekend I'd watch it for that it wasn't for my being a fan it wasn't for my love of football in general I'd watch the UK football it. it was weird because I didn't get the buzz out of that I used to get the buzz out of watching Liga so much more And it's hard to put my finger on why, but I think it is the styles. I think it is – I didn't see a lot. Back then, I never played in a team, played possession-based football. And back then, Premier League wasn't very possession-based. No. You know, Spanish football was so possession-based. And that's what sort of – that that was my appeal. You know, I spoke to you before, Gray. The amount of arguments I had with managers – because I wanted to play possession-based football and we just wasn't really built that way. We didn't really know the possession-based game over us. But,
1: but, but let then, me, let me, for the benefit of, the, of those listening, Jimmy, and, and slap me down if I'm wrong, yeah. nobody should interpret that you saw League of Football and then said to managers, well, we've got to be possession-based. As I understand it from previous chats, You'd always seen it that way and seeing La Liga was just a, a reaffirmation of what you'd always believed. Is that true?
3: Spot on. Exactly right. As a kid, I, that 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 didn't just start in a Premier League development. As a kid, I always wanted to I, I, I couldn't I couldn't figure out why is the keeper not making an angle for the centre half. Why is the angle not why is the centre half just clipping it down the line? Why are we tall? Because I was tall play in their final third, we don't want to play in the two thirds, we don't want to play in our defensive third or the middle third, get it up to there, get it in a danger area, and play from there. Then all of a sudden I'm thinking, no, what about these two thirds? That's totally killed me, if you want. That's totally like got rid of all my space, all my what I believe in. So my pet age were goalkeepers centre-half because they were my back line. They were the boys that I wanted them to make angles and let me receive the ball off of them. It was very much, clip it forward, then we go and play an air after gym, all the way up until I was 27, 28, until managers started to believe in me. But to answer your question, I see that more and more when I started to watch La Liga football. A little bit of Bundesliga, to be honest. A little bit, but not so much as Spanish football, like when Barca was playing and Madrids and, and, and just the league in general was so much more... Like You'd go and watch Villarreal v Bilbao. And it was so much, everyone wanted the ball great. Everyone wanted the ball from centre-ass to goal kick. And People go to me, well, it ain't just that. i tell you what, it's a big patch of it. If you want the ball more, I'm a big fan of John Stones on here um, in England. Like, his hunger for the ball, he's waving his hands in the air, give me the ball. Like, that, for me, is huge if you want to play possession-based football. I had centre-ass grey behind me that couldn't wait to squeeze up the pitch. Pep Guardiola's fault is totally different, make the pitch bigger. Allow Jimmy to come and get the ball. Allow the Xavis of the world to come and get the ball. You know, I put myself in Xavis bracket there. From a kid, I always see it that way. I always see it the Pep way, if you want. But what Pep has brought to UK football, I'm telling us now, UK fans, we do not realise. How much we hire regard him. times it by a hundred. Times it by a hundred. Because what he's done to the game... Not just Pep, Klopp as well, but Pep was the one that really educated the Man City fans and the UK fans because I believe we've got to educate the fans before anyone else because the amount of times that I was playing football and I would play the right winger and our fans would clap because he's running 100 miles an hour up the line, that ain't, that ain't football great. That ain't the rugby mentality, mate. You've got to go, with, you've got to go forward with quality. You can't just run forward at pace like a lunatic. I was playing for Fulham, bottom of the league. I was watching, because I was injured, I was watching from above. I was thinking, you need to forward there, You need to go and get that ball because clumping it out there, we're not winning. We're not not doing nothing. I always had that, though, Gray. I had that in me so much. Was there times on the pitch, if I was being honest, did I shy away from it? There was times when I was a little bit lower on confidence where I'd sort of go, "Mm, hmm don't know, it's a bit tight. But I think that was my own brain sort of going, it's too tight. It's too tight for me to receive it. Someone else has got to be on. You can't be a one-man band.
1: No, that's judgment. That's judgment. That's match management. Exactly
3: right. So that doesn't come to bottle, I'd hope. If you were to ask me the question, have you got... Great, I'd play my own six-yard box, mate. But then I'd have managers saying, Jim, pull yours, Jim. But six of us can't. You can, that's your game. But six of us can't. So you have the argument now... Well, Pep's okay with Man City. He's got all the money in the world blah, 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 to buy that. But has Little Wigan got enough money and nows and know how to go and buy like 15 ball players? You know, it's very tough to bring that to the game of the UK. And it's very, they're not going to just listen to Jimmy Bullard, are they? Because Jimmy wants to play like that. But then my argument was well, you brought me in Paul. I want to play like that. And that was my argument. You know, I believe, well, the goalkeeper is. He's getting paid a good wage. He's a professional football player. Why ain't he making an angle, Gaffer? I'd ask him so many questions. And in the end, I sort of had to wind my neck in grey because I think I'm sort of doing myself out of a out job sort of thing. Do you get what I mean? It would become a point where the manager would ask me going, Jimmy's too much. You're you, you, you scrutinising too much. Get in line. You're a player. You ain't the manager. And I'd be like, Yeah, you're right. Like, I'd sort of have to wind my neck in a bit where I'd be putting too much pressure on the manager, you know. Um, I found myself doing that, especially towards the end of my career when I started to become a bit more ballsy. I started to become a bit more of a man. I started believing in myself that bit more and started putting more pressures on players around me. No, get it, do it, you know, and that's how it started.
2: FlushCare dot com slash weight loss.
1: In, in your career, you got you know chopped a lot, and it's off often on the pitch because famously. He played for Barry Fry, who might only come up to your kneecaps, but you'd have done your kneecaps. But it, you don't strike me as being somebody who, who lost his temper much, and I ask that because in that match, focusing on the two guys you idolize, especially Zidane, I don't know if you remember, at the end of the match, Raul's nicking around in the penalty box, and a guy called Kike Alvarez tries to do it, and it's 2-1 at Real Madrid, there's about four or five minutes left. Kike Alvarez tries to do Raul, and Zidane's 20 metres away. And he sees it. And just like when he headbutted the Hamburg player um, for Juventus or when he headbutted Maturazzi in Berlin, I was there that that day. He goes, I'm not fucking having that. And in his teams, there's a big brawl and he gets sent off and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, he was sent off a lot in his career. There was three red cards in that game that we're talking about. Did you ever have a problem with your temper? Did you ever, when somebody, I know that let's not go into the pain of the Scott Park challenge because yeah. you established that happens in football. People came looking for you quite a lot on and off the pitch. Was that something you were easy to skip away from or your temper rose?
3: It's another good question. And it's something that I learned, again, myself, how to manage. I learned at a young age, I learned, I think just before I come into the pro game, that Jimmy Buller, Like this is how I like to dissect that. I used to play and I used to behave on the pitch. One, I had a strict dad. My dad used to always say to me, Jim, if I see you arguing with a referee, I, I'll almost disown you. I, I had a really strict dad. I almost fell out with my dad a lot of times. and It's like, I don't want to see you arguing with your players. I don't want to see you arguing with your manager. I don't want to see any aggravation. He was football, football, football. Everyone will protect you. The referee's there to do one job. My rapport with referees was unbelievable. I'm going off on one end. Just bear with me, right? So that being that was that. As a person, I found very quickly that Jimmy Bullard plays at his best, being as happy as I possibly can. So I would play, it seemed like a no-fear, happy, I'd almost be this character on the pitch. I'd portray this character that nothing phases me. I'm a footballer playing in front of these. Let's entertain. If I'm 5 nil down... Don't worry about it. The world's going to be all right. Jimmy's going to be all right. Football club, let's really enjoy the situation and make fun out of it. And me being the joker Jimmy that everyone knew me as and still knows me as, a little bit of a character. Only, I'll call it an extension of myself. So an extension of myself, it's it's like when Ronaldo goes on the pitch and he acts as his statue, and easy. that's an extension, is he like that every day? No, he ain't like that every day, it'd wear him out, but it's an extension, I was the joker, so to answer your question, I never had an argument on the pitch, very rare I had an argument on the pitch, you ask every referee, I used to call them by their first name, I had a really good, so I used to manage that, I used to like enjoy, like. I used to wind players up, I used to have a bit of, if it was too much, no problem, and in that, Gray, I think it's very important that players respect players, I th- you know, and players respect referees. I'm, I'm really of that ilk where my dad's side comes out of me and I play with that smile and that real intense, bubbly character. But to dissect it, I learned that a very long time ago, that works for me, Gray. I'm not saying that works for everyone. I like to use Wayne Rooney as a scout. I believe Wayne Rooney learned at a young age that he plays his very best when he's angry. When he's ready to rip someone's head off, um, Wayne Rooney plays his best on the other end of the scout.
1: Like that goal against Newcastle, where he's still shouting at the referee as he fucks the ball in from 70 yards. He's
3: angry, but I've played against Wayne. I've played with Wayne, I've trained with him. And When he's angry, he's phenomenal. If I played like that, I would be no, I'm too tense. I'm the other end. And there's always optimums. I always talk about optimums quite a lot. But you've got to find your own optimum. Where do you best play at?
1: We've got people um, who who religiously watch this and they send in questions. So Kevin Jimenez, Kevin says, I hope it's true. Jimmy, I just want to say I've seen you a few times throwing shapes in the bridge bar in Beckenham. Some Some good moves you've got there, mate. My question is, which ground did you go to that had the aura where you knew you were in for a tough game, and who was the toughest opponent you faced? Go.
3: Okay, yeah. So, Bridge. We'll start off with a start. Quick, Bridge Bar. Yeah, that's my local. Me and my mates go for there for a drink, and yeah, I do chuck some serious moves. So he's right on that one. I love getting on the floor. Um, but to answer the foot, yeah, I've got a bit. But to answer the um, question. It was Anfield. Going to Liverpool was like it's phenomenal. When I first heard like "Never Walk Alone," that was phenomenal. And then they had the likes of Alonso, Gerrards. It was up top. I think Torres was up top at that time. Um, it's just like ridiculous teams, you know that. And and also another ground that was phenomenal was Leeds Leeds away you know we had, when I was playing for Wigan they was in a championship we had a lot of ding dong with Leeds being only across the road really Leeds and Wigan not being far apart and going to Ellen Road that was one that I can't wait to see them in the Premier League hopefully if yeah. they get there because I believe they deserve to get that. it was just phenomenal Um, but then you had the likes like the big grounds I, I used to love Everton are on top of a view they was, um, even driving into the lights of Everton, like, down the little rows, like them sort of grounds, and then you get to the mecca grounds, like Newcastle, what I call the big industrial grounds, Old Trafford, obviously, playing against, like, gigs and players like that, that was like, but there was some phenomenal ground. I was so lucky to play, my mum always said to me, Jim, when you're going into these grounds, when doing what you're doing, it'll be quickly forgotten. So, make sure you soak it up. Make sure you enjoy everything, taking the whole experience because when you're 35, this won't be here for you. And that was one thing that I really, really
1: absorbed. It's one of the reasons that we're on here, and there's two sections to go before we let you back to the garden. And and they, they, one of them links really specifically into that because I'll come back to it. But you, everything you absorbed and what you felt about the importance of soaking it up. That comes out of you, it radiates, and it radiates still to this day, and I'll tell you why. But just, I can't, I just conversations. So you know what you share with Iker Casillas and what you said there? Because Iker's mum uh, was a really good guide in, in his career, and he's a World Cup winning captain and champion, but she couldn't watch his games. And during Spain's run to the, the tournament wins they had, she fainted with the, the pressure on stage. And she, she was too nervous to watch him, she couldn't watch him.
3: That's mum. That's yeah, my, there you go. That's the link. That's yeah, that's unbelievable because my mum, we Wigan, we reached a Carlin Cup final against Man United. My mum has never watched me live, she can't even put on the teletext back in the day. Teletext that's how long ago she can't even put on um, TV. She was like, Jim, she'd come to the final. I dragged 40 coach load, right? She'd watch me warm up and she'd walk straight outside and having a fact she couldn't watch, she could not watch, she'd get so nervous. She watched me for another game, Wigan. For two years, she come back later, right? and I tell you a little story. This was fun. And Chelsea turned up at the JGB Stadium, and she see Chelsea get off the coach, and she see Big Didier Drogba get off, and she said, "Is he playing against my little Jimmy? <laughs> He's an absolute man, man, of a man." And I was See like, you? yes, yeah, Mum." Like he's like, <laughs> he's one of the... No, he's going to crush you. You make sure you're strong and all that. You give me a right pep talk. That was fun.
1: You and I met on the 25th of January 2012 at um, a classical, which was a cup uh, semi-final, where That's Barca right. took a lead from Madrid back and it ended up 2-2, two, two blitzkrieg of a game. I'd taken Darren Fletcher out because he was recuperating from his... Um, one of his uh, operations yeah. or whatever, and yeah. we, ended, we ended up singing um, Islands in the Stream across the bar at uh, the Hotel Princesses <laughs> Princess <laughs> Sophia. Yeah, that's and,
3: that, that
1: and, and, and that's what That's how I introduced Julian Ball Rodriguez, because we're in the last two sections of this interview, Jimmy, because, you know, for, Julian says, how difficult was it to adapt from playing at Gravesend to playing at West Ham? But I'm thinking about the journey from the chip shop and Gravesend to to a luxury hotel in 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 Barcelona, watching two beautiful teams play magical cup football two two. Of all the players we've talked about, including the Real Madrid and, and Barcelona legends that you adore watching, you never used the name Paulo de Cano in your list of of footballers that to rank with Zidane or with Brechelme. And Maybe Paulo didn't win all the trophies they did, but people will forget that you signed on the same day uh, as Paolo did um, for West Ham, And I saw, I watched Paolo in an interview recently. I don't know if you've seen it, but I know how clued up you are on things that you you can pick up on the internet and YouTube. Paolo immediately said he he remembered you and liked you. And he immediately said, brilliant set piece player, set piece taker, brilliant free kick taker, but he, he didn't have a dig, but you know what Paolo's like? He said, Could could have achieved a lot more, really good footballer. Does that mean or or is that typical of the Powell that you knew? And and having started at Gravesend and and, and, or having been at Gravesend before coming to West Ham, try and describe that, the the man that you, you found there, less so for his eccentricities, but for the brand of footballer that he was.
3: So, so, looking back, for me coming from Gravesend, to North, um, Gravesend and North Fleet to West Ham, there's such a big gap there from non-league to Premier League. You've got to imagine, Gra, I was a West Ham fan as well, so it's such a surreal moment, me going almost claret and blue still on my walls to the boyhood club I love from non-league. There's so much jump there and scowl, it's almost, it's Royal Rovers stuff. You don't like that. That's, that's ridiculous, right? That's, that does not happen. That 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 you've got more chance, I would say, of near enough winning the lottery. Like, how does that happen? How does a boy from Grazing Northfield do that? Not only does that happen, I'll go on trial. I have Roger Cross was third in line by the way. He turned up to a Grazing Northfield game. By the way, I wasn't playing that well at Grayson. I hit a three, four week period where I was scoring goals and Roger Cross was there at West Ham scan. And he came up to me and we had a lot of characters there and he come up to me and goes son do you want to try at West Ham? I thought he was a one of the boys. Put him up for it. I thought, ah, Come on, mate, be able, like. Who's putting you up? This my mate Mitchell Crawley's a lunatic. I thought we suck up to Mitch. I said, No, I'm not having that. He went, Jim, I'm not winding you up. You've got the trial at West End. I still didn't believe. i oh, now nah, not having it. So I turned up at Chadwell Heath Monday morning, ten o'clock. Who's there? Paolo Di Canio's there. I didn't know, Paolo. I'm a West Ham fan. He's there. He's there the first day. I'm there. Frank Lampard, <laughs> Rio, they're all there. I'm on trial. I remember the first day Harry wanted to see what I had. He put me one-on-one with Frank Lampard, one-on-one, Grey, on a quadmire. I'm a 19-year-old boy in a 15-year-old body. I'm thinking, one-on-one with Frank. Are you joking? Frank was a beast. He's absolutely tore me a new one. I've asked, like, I've kept me own. Paolo's up next. I'm one-on-one with Paolo. Like, this is like, I'm going. I've got my dad watching in the car park, because back then, West Ham allowed... Hunters come in and watch training. My that's it. I'm thinking, this is fucking mental. Like, how the fuck am I here? Like, I don't understand this process. Like, I'm just decorating on the Friday, Gray. I'm decorating on the Friday, and now I'm at my club. I'm, to, today, I still don't realise what that, that, that was a total ed fuck. So, for me to answer any football questions in that is not possible. It's a total <laughs> ed fuck, right? <laughs> so then all of a sudden, two weeks later, Harry gives me a two-year contract. Um, sorry, a three-year pro contract. And he, he, this is brilliant. This is how good Harry was. I was in a can. He goes, you all right with your contract? 750 quid a week. Sweet with that. I couldn't say yes or no, could I? I would have took £7.50. And he was like, sweet, son. If you're good enough, you are getting my first thing. The first thing he said to me, you need to get in the gym. You need to build up. Gray, I'm telling you, I I lifted more weights than Jeff Capes. I couldn't put a muscle <laughs> I couldn't put a muscle mass. My body was too... I had too much energy. It wouldn't put on. I got more defined, but Harry's just seeing his strongly little kid and the Premier League was more industrious. It needed stronger men. I get that. But then all of a sudden come this player, Paolo Di Canio he signed, the, he signed the same day as me as well as... Remember Mark Vivian Foley? God bless him who, who lost. Yeah, God bless
1: his soul, yeah. yeah.
3: And so I signed the same day as him as long along with Gavin Holligan who come a, along with Kingstonian another non league player. So it's me and him, Paolo. From that day, I sat next to Paolo for three years in the change room. Right. What I learned from that man was not only football was life around football. Now the way you conduct yourself, the way you dress, the way you manner like your manners around football, and people know Paolo as this loose cannon, like this absolute genius of a lunatic. Let me tell you something about that man. He thought so much about everything, every move he done, he thought about He brought his own staff with him to West Ham to take the warm-up. You know, he see gaps in the market there. He see gaps in football. Oh, no, this ain't good enough, you know. And every sort of went with it. Okay, what you got? He's sort of like, we had fish and chips on a Friday night. We was having fish and chips as a pre-match meal. Palo, no. He changed everything about that club he just—he even changed. <laughs> this is ridiculous. do you remember West Ham? i forever bland bubbles. Yeah, it's a big feature, like massive song back to when my dad was a kid. Paolo changed the song, and he bought that Paolo Di Canio. <laughs> he, he come out to his own song. I'm not. It's like, unbelievable, but my dad basically, I've got so much, it would almost be a different podcast break, I've got so much about the cameo, but there was one episode where I said, Dad, he sort of like, was in the Frank McAveni era, you know, Cotty, all back then, and I said, Dad, come and watch this Alan Devin what a player. Almost Bobby Moore as a kid growing up, real back in the day, and I went, Dad, watch this, watch this come and watch this bloke, right, unbelievable, and he went, no, 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 I said, Dad, just come watch him. I dragged into Upton Park one game. It was a night game under floodlights. It was when Paolo scored two goals. And he cut on the inside. And me and my dad were right behind it. He cut inside. He nutmegged the second uh, midfielder. He gave a lollipop with his left pick. I remember it. You know when you can see things clear as a... And he come inside he bent this ball, right, honestly, into the far corner. My dad stood up and just gave him the biggest stand for ovation. He was there 25 minutes, my dad, and he went that's enough. Walked out and he said, that bloke. And he run around with his shirt, you know how he used to just go mad? And he run around with his shirt on his head, above his head and my dad said, that's the best I've ever seen in West Ham. they like, phenomenal ballplay. There's little things he'd done in that game. 25 minutes grey. he was there. My dad, I've seen enough. The boys. The man was magnificent. He's probably the slowest player with the biggest amount of ability I've ever seen. He used to have, you know the chop? Like, he used to chop players. Oh, wow. Like, you'd go for, I know it was coming. I'm like, I know you're going to chop this, <laughs> but I've still got to block it. For some reason, you block it, and he'd just go, chop, chop, chop. he chopped so many players. Like, I was phenomenal. But there's one thing I noticed about Paolo. He definitely preferred to be a big fish in a small pond. He was one of them. It, that was a big exaggeration of, a big fish in a small pond if Paolo wasn't number one if Paolo wasn't at the armband if Paolo didn't wear the ten if Paolo wasn't held as a king you ain't got the same Paolo that? and Harry knew that Harry, that's part of management as well you know you talk about tactics all you want player, You know, we all talk about player management pa- Harry played him to perfection
1: Jimmy it's has been a privilege that I expected it to be because I admire you as much for your wit, but um, I knew that we shared a love of football that would come out in this podcast so I'm indebted to you for uh, taking so much time and, and listening with patience to my questions and our listeners would have loved having Jimmy Bullard on the big interview so Jim thank you